Good evening. Appreciate you guys allowing me to be here tonight and, and share with you. And uh, yeah, as as Corwin said, I, I hope that everything that I share um, is able to encourage you and, and challenge you to grow closer with God. That's ultimately the the goal of everything that I you know hope to share with anybody. I say is to push them closer to the Lord and encourage them to you know go for the Lord and in areas that might be uncomfortable or, um, you know, unknown, but, um, there's just something very sweet to be found in the hidden places with the Lord. Um, I was, I was talking with a friend last night and, um, I was sharing with them the idea of that. Um, and this is unrelated to my story, but I just thought of it. So I'll share it is, uh, many times we wonder, you know, Lord, where are you or what are you doing? And, um, I've always had this one uh, this phrase in my head. It says that the Lord doesn't hide things from us. He hides things for us. And so, you know, I always uh, have been a type of person that loves to challenge us to look for the hidden things of God. Uh, scripture tells us that uh, it's the glory of God to conceal the matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. I heard that verse and I really loved it and I thought it was really interesting. And I'm, a, I'm the type of person that really loves adventure and, and you know, going for, um, you know, the hidden things and finding the the uh, the places that aren't maybe low-hanging fruit, if you'd call it that. But uh, not that anything in the Lord is really low-hanging, but it's all it's all good. But anyway, so my name is uh, Tim Overstreet. Um, I, this is my wife, Emily. Uh, I have a three-year-old little girl. She'll be three next month. Uh, her name is Joy. And, um, yeah, we, uh, I grew up in Bedford, so, um, similar, similar to the Gladys area, you know, very, you know, farmland and rural and, you know, and I love it. I, I grew up in, uh, Thaxton, you know, in the Peaks of Otter, you know, Blue Ridge area. And, uh, you know, I've always loved it there. A lot of people would come and they would say, man, it's so beautiful here. And I'm like, it's just trees. And, you know, like, what do you, I don't understand, but, you know, as I kind of grew up and, traveled the country a little more. I got around to some different parts of the States and a little bit, you know, of the world. And, you know, I came to realize, like, I understand what you mean. You know, Virginia is just a really beautiful place. And I, and I came to, you know, realize the value and the beauty that we have in this area. But, uh, I love, I love, I love this area. And I, you know, like I said, I grew up in Bedford. And so, uh, we live in Lynchburg now and, you know, we, we, uh, serve at our church and yeah, we just <clears throat> want to, you know, the, the primary thing that we, uh, seek to do is just uh, raise our family really well and, uh, you know, serve God and, and reach out to others who, who know him and who don't know him and encourage them towards him. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to share some of my testimony uh, with you this this evening. Um, I told my wife I'm going to do my very best to uh, give the quickest version of it that I can. And I say that because if you don't know me, you'll know uh, I can talk a lot. And so I'm going to try my best not to keep you here all night. Um, I'm a very, very detailed person. I have to, my, my wife tells me bullet points, honey, bullet points. And, um, you know, but so I'm, I'm going to try to tell you everything you need to know and nothing you don't. Um, <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> excuse me, tonight, um, my, my, my hope is to do two things um, in sharing my story with you. Uh, number one is to celebrate with my brothers and sisters what God has done in my life personally. Um, and allow you to celebrate with me in that. And secondly, is I hope to draw some parallels in my life and maybe some that you guys have in your own lives. And I'm not sure what everyone's background is in the room here. And your your story may look very, very different than mine as far as how it physically has played out. But what I want to encourage you is I really feel like the Lord has given me um, a word tonight, not just my testimony, but something to add on to that as well 
uh, just to encourage you to look for the places where um, where where he is that we don't know of yet. Um, and so uh, with that being said, uh, I'll start with my story. So um, I grew up in a very, you know, humble setting. I was in the, you know, up in the mountains. Uh, we grew up in a house that was built in the 1800s. Um, just an old farmhouse, you know, sawdust in the walls for insulation kind of thing. When the wind blowed pretty hard, you'd, you'd feel it through the house. It was my, my great grandmother's house originally and it stayed in the family, but no one really had any, any much of anything to try to fix it up with. So, you know, over time, it just kind of started to become more and more run down. But, um, you know, we, we burned wood for heat. That's the only source of heat we had growing up. And, you know, I look back and, you know, cutting wood all day long and, you know, doing all that. I didn't like it much as a kid, but I look back now, I wouldn't change it for anything because it taught me a lot of really good work ethic. And it taught me a lot of, um, you know, just stories or lessons that you can't learn uh, outside of just, you know, having to go, you know, go through that, that way of life. And I really appreciate that. Um, so, and I'll, I'll give you guys a, a warning now. My story is, uh, my story is, is, it was a rough one. You know, I didn't have, uh, the most ideal, you know, situation growing up. So just to say that, you know, both of my parents, um, were alcoholics and both of them were actively using drugs during the time that I was growing up with them. Um, and that, you know, obviously just caused a lot of problems, you know, in, in my, in my life and the way that I grew up and the way that I understood life was, um, very much through the filter of that kind of a household, you know, and, um, there are just obviously many issues that, that come from that. And, um, I grew up very independent, um, because as much as, uh, my parents were, um, physically present, uh, it didn't feel like they were very, um, you know, invested, you know, in me as parents, you know, they, they took care of me. They made sure I had what I needed, you know, they kept me alive and, and, you know, but it was, um, it, I grew up very independent, you know, because I, I had to depend on myself a lot. I cooked a lot of my own meals as a young kid and, um, I come home and start a fire in the house and get it warm because mom and dad weren't home yet. You know, they were out, uh, you know, maybe at the bar or, or somewhere else and, um, you know, just taking care of, of, you know, the house and myself at times. And, um, once again, just not an ideal situation. And, um, but, you know, thank, thank the Lord for praying grandmothers. Uh, so I, I spent most weekends, uh, with my grandmother because my parents had other plans to go, you know, do the things they want to do on the weekends. So they take me and leave me with grandma on the weekends. And grandma was a very passionate Bible believing woman. And so she instilled the Lord in my heart, you know, from a, a young age, but I had a very, um, dualistic, you know, reality, you know, where I was living in kind of one, one realm half the time and another realm, the other half of the time. And, um, you know, that was <clears throat> you know, obviously a challenge for me, especially spiritually, um, but uh, yeah, I still have pictures of when I was just not even maybe two years old and grandma dressed me up in full suit and bow tie every Sunday for church. And, uh, she took it. So grandma, she went to, uh, her name was June and she took uh, me to uh, her church. It was a Pentecostal holiness church. Um, and I remember, um, yeah, just having a really good time there. And, um, I stayed there for, for quite a, for quite a while, um, until, um, you know, later on and, when I was around 12 years old, my, my grandmother passed away. And so, uh, that was, you know, a pretty hard time for me. And she was kind of the main point of stability in my life in terms of faith. And so that really, you know, was a challenging time for me. Um, <clears throat> and she was the main source that I really genuinely, genu- genuinely felt loved, 
Um, and, and to be honest with you, I don't want to make my parents sound like terrible people. You know, I knew that they loved me, but obviously there was just things that weren't ideal about my situation. Um, and so, um, just growing up, my parents separated for a bit. Um, you know, they, they were just having their own, uh, problems. There's a lot of, you know, just things I won't get into too much detail about, but, um, they separated for, for, uh, you know, about a year and then something happened that actually brought them back together, but it wasn't something that, you know, we wanted, which was, it was a really bad car accident that we were in, uh, me and my dad specifically. Um, my father was actually, um, in the hospital, in the ICU division of the hospital for about a year. Um, didn't know the doctors did not think he was going to uh, live and, um, most doctors wouldn't even touch him. They said that he's, you know, he's just going to pass away. We can't do anything for him. And, and there was one surgeon who was willing to do emergency surgery and he saved his life, but he spent, um, the next three years of his life bedridden. And, um, you know, even from there went to a wheelchair and, and so on. And that was a really, you know, obviously tough thing for us. Um, just in that, you know, it just felt like, you know, one thing after the other, it's just like a rough, a rough go at it, you know, at life. And, uh, my dad, I was definitely a lot closer with my father than I was, you know, my mother. And, um, I just became a very lonely, you know, a very lonely person. And at that point in my life, I became someone who was seeking for love from any source that I could find it. Um, and <clears throat> so, um, yeah, you know, our family got, you know, tossed into a million dollars in debt and, uh, just an incredible amount of stress and, um, just really just, you know, loneliness, honestly, all around. I'm sure my mother felt incredibly lonely in that time as well, having to take care of my dad. And we had a lot of medical equipment in our home. And, um, so anyway, um, that was, uh, so I told a little bit out of order there. My, my father was in the car accident. I was eight years old when that happened. I was in the car accident as well. I was in the hospital for two or three weeks. I got banged up pretty good, but I was okay. Um, we were all ejected from the vehicle. Um, and so wear your seatbelts. That's my advice to you. But, um, I need to be better about it myself. Sometimes I still don't. I just, I'll confess, but it's, you know, wear your seatbelts. Um, but anyway, um, my, my grandmother passed away when I was closer to 12 years old. And so there's a period of time where, you know, my, my, my home life was very, um, you know, lonely. And I did spend a lot of time, you know, with my grandmother, but she passed away when I was, um, around, between 10 and 12, it's, it's all a little fuzzy for me to be honest with you. And, and so, um, at that point it just became very, you know, just, I just didn't have any direction at all. And so once again, thank God, you know, there was a man, um, who pastored a local church, uh, on the mountain there. His name was Jeff Hubbard. And to this day, I just, I, I just say he's such a, a wonderful, godly man, you know, and you'll, you'll hear a little bit more about him as, as I speak, but, um, they, Jeff, Jeff reached out to me and uh, there was some guys that lived nearby who went to Jeff's church that he pastored. Uh, this was a Presbyterian church. And so, um, we went to, uh, I started, uh, the neighbors started picking me up and taking me to that church. Cause I, you know, I was going to church with my grandma and, you know, that wasn't happening anymore. And so I started to go to church, um, you know, at, at this other church. And that became the place where, you know, I, I attended for the rest of my teenage years. So, Maybe from about 12 to, I don't know, around 16, 17, uh, I went to this church. And honestly, for me, you know, growing up as a, as a teenager, it was, it was kind of difficult for me to connect, um, to God. It, it felt difficult for me to understand, um, you know, the relationship that I had with God and, 
you know, just not having, you know, the mentors in a lot of way, Mr. Hubbard, the pastor, um, you know, he did a lot to, to love on me and to sow into my life, but there were just some pieces that weren't connecting. You know, there were just some things that weren't making it, um, you know, relevant for me, if that makes sense, you know, and, and, um, at some point, you know, at that point on, like I said, you know, I was just a kid, you know, just looking for love in the world with, you know, with basically, um, just an absent home life and, um, just a lot of things pulling me in every direction. Um, and, um, you know, I just turned to the world for that, you know, uh, it became a point where it didn't really happen all at once necessarily, but just a slow progression of just more and more, you know, if you're not moving towards the light, then at some point, you know, the darkness is going to begin to kind of creep in and start to gain ground in your heart. Right. And so, um, you know, by the time I was, uh, about 17 or so, um, I had, I had started to, uh, I had started to drink and I had started to, you know, hang out with friends and, um, you know, go to small parties and things and just do things that I just had no business doing. You know, I just really shouldn't have been in those places. But, um, you know, at the time that was, that was what was filling a gap in my heart. Um, and it's what I thought was going to, you know, bring me some source of enjoyment or some source of fulfillment. And so, um, you know, I watched my parents, you know, I, I like to think I was a, a fairly smart kid, you know, overall, given my circumstances, I, I still stayed out of trouble mostly in school. You know, I didn't get into any kind of severe, severe trouble or anything like that, or, you know, end up in any kind of trouble with the law at, at that point. And, um, you know, I saw, I saw what was happening in my life. You know, I was, I was aware enough to realize that, you know, it's very clear what's happening around me and I don't want that. You know, I, and I told myself, I remember when maybe I was a young teenager, I told myself, I'll never drink or I'll never do these things that I'm seeing my parents do because I can clearly see there are many details that I'm not sharing tonight that are just devastating, um, details that, you know, if, if you want to hear more of my story, I, I'm more than willing to share it. Um, in, in detail, but I'll leave that, you know, for the one-on-one conversation. But the point being is I saw the, the devastating results of the life that my parents were living. And I knew I, I wanted no piece of that. And it's like, I made a pact in my heart that I won't, I will never do that. I will never, you know, do drugs or I will never drink alcohol or I will never do these things that are going to produce these kinds of results in my life. But the truth was, is that I wasn't accessing the power of God. I wasn't accessing the blood of Christ that gave me the ability to actually do that. And so really what I was doing was resenting my parents for the life that they gave me and the things that I saw them do to each other. But I didn't actually have the ability to be different than them because at that point I was simply a product of my raising. And it's, that's the thing that, you know, that's the whole, um, you know, core behind this message tonight is understanding that like, you know, how much we need God and that there is no ability to be, you know, righteous and blameless and holy and serve God wholeheartedly, you know, like without the power that is in his blood. And I know that everyone in this building, I, I know that I hope that everyone in this building understands that, but I want to offer a, a little bit deeper perspective into that reality to you guys tonight. And so I was, I was a young kid and I started to seep into, you know, this lifestyle of darkness you know, knowing that I had made a pact to myself and I told myself, oh, okay, well, I, maybe I'm having a drink sometimes, but I'm not going to do anything bad. You know, I'm not going to go into any hard drugs or I'm not going to do anything that would really hurt me. I'm just, you know, I'm just young and I'm just having a little bit of fun. And, and the truth was, is I was just selling myself a lie, you know, because there is no path outside of the path that is running towards Jesus. 
that leads to anything but life. That like that only the path that is, that is sprinting towards Christ is the path that lives towards life, leads to life. And there's no other option there. We can't, we want to compromise and we want to take little pieces and add it in, you know, that aren't on that path to God. But I'm telling you now, like I want to share to everybody, especially you young guys, just know that in your walk, there's going to be times that come, you know, things that come across your path. Don't allow yourself to compromise because like the word says, a, a little bit of yeast leavens the whole lump. Like you can't allow those things and you can't just allow those things to be justified in your life because if you do, it will compromise you and it will drag you and draw you towards a life that you you did not want. Even if you think you have it under control, you know, you really have to be de- de- devoted and understand the fullness of what it means to not compromise in that way. And, but but the, the more the more important message, even beyond that, and this is obviously for everybody, is to know that we can't do that in our own strengths. The only way that we're able to do that is to be completely sold out into the fact of knowing that what Jesus did for you is what gives you the ability to actually walk that path. Otherwise, it's called self-righteousness, and the Lord doesn't want it. He says it very clear in his word that there is no room for self-righteousness on his path because we have to understand the depravity of our situation. I love the song that we sang, you know, before we started here and just, it just, it spoke to that so directly. And I just love that. I thought, wow, Lord, that's just cool that you, you know, arranged that. Um, because it just spoke so directly of just, you know, the, the true weakness of man and our, our need and our dependency for his presence and for the power that is connected to the blood of the cross. And so, the question, you know, that goes with that, I'm going to get ahead of myself here because I still got some more story to tell you. But the question that goes with that is how do you access that, right? What does that mean and what does it look like to actually access that power and walk with the Lord in that way? Um, I'll continue my story for the moment. So <clears throat> I told myself I'd never do that, right? I told myself, you know, I I, I know what I'm doing, you know, I, I'm, I'm good, you know, and and I allowed myself to start to compromise. I was only fooling myself. Um, so I went through that season for, for quite a while. Um, you know, up until the time that I was about 21 years old during that time, my father passed away when I was 18. Um, it was right after graduation, sorry, right before graduation. I remember deeply regretting not having my father see me walk across the stage and graduate. Um, so that sent me obviously into just a deeper state of depression. Um, I've always been a pretty positive person. I've always been a pretty um, upbeat guy, you know. So even in the midst of, I, to be honest with you, a lot of my story that I'm telling you now, you may think that sounds terrible, but to me it was just my life. And I was just kind of a younger guy just making the best of what I had and just living life to the fullest, you know. And obviously I understood that there were terrible things that had happened to us, but, you know, I was a pretty just kind of upbeat person in general. You know, I tried not to let the world, you know, beat me down. And, and, but at that point, once my father passed, um, I just became a very, I just, I went into a very dark place. Um, my father, you know, although my relationship with my parents was complicated, um, I loved my father very much and I knew that he loved me. And, um, I loved my mom, my mother as well, although we didn't, we didn't see as eye to eye as me and my father did. And, it just really left me feeling very lonely once again. I watched my father uh, go from a bed to a wheelchair uh, to a walker to a cane and eventually walk again after doctors told him he wouldn't live. He told him he'd never walk, told him he'd never this or that. And he was just a very, you know, determined and strong man um, 
to the point where I actually, I, I, you know, respect this so much about my father. The doctor told him one day, he said, if you don't stop drinking and smoking, you're going to die in a year. And he, he, he walked away from that and he quit cold turkey. Uh, so sometime during my teenage years. And I, and I always just respected him so much for that. He was a very determined person. And I, I thought so much of him, you know, in that. Uh, he was a roofer by trade. I grew up in the construction field. If you don't know, I'm a contractor now in the Lynchburg area. And uh, I followed after his footsteps, not in roofing uh, because I value my back, but um, but just but in the construction. And he did more than just roofing. He taught me a lot about re- remodeling and things like that, too. And um, I just remember a very proud moment where um, after the accident, probably, uh, I don't know, maybe about eight years after the accident, me and my father got up on a roof and replaced the roof together. And that was just, you know, just um, if you understood the depths of his injuries, uh, that was, it was truly a miracle. But um, anyway, and so my dad, my father passed away, though, when I was 18. And that was, uh, you know, obviously very difficult for me. My great aunt, who was like my um, my grandmother, you know, my grandmother passed away when I was younger. Well, my great aunt, her sister um, had been there to kind of kind of somewhat take the take the reins um but she had a, a little bit more passive role in my life, I guess I would say. And, but um, she was, you know, someone who took care of us and made sure we had what I needed and bought my clothes every year for school and made sure that I, you know, was taken care of as well. And she passed away when I turned 19, right after I turned 19. So uh, I forgot to mention my, um, my father and my best friend actually died in the same month. Um, my friend died in a car accident that was drug related. Um and my, uh, my dad died three weeks before that. Um, and so, uh, that, you know, all just contributed to just a terribly difficult time for me. Um, and so, uh, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen to a 19 year old kid who's terribly depressed and has no sense of guidance or direction and wrapped up in the world? Well, you, you give them a bunch of resources in a house and, in money and vehicles. And that's what happened to me. Um, not that my aunt made a mistake in any way, but obviously she didn't anticipate that my life was going to be in the position it was in. Uh, when my aunt passed away, I received an inheritance from her. And, um, that just, you know, it was, it originally was intended to go to my father, but of course, unexpectedly, my father had passed, you know, a few months earlier. And so then I was written in as the secondary heir in her will. And I received an inheritance, um, including, you know, uh, a house, her, her home and, you know, vehicles and money and things. And it was about the worst possible thing that could have happened to me at that moment, um, just because I was given so much resource and freedom in such a dark place. Um, <clears throat> I was 19 years old when that happened. I spent the next two years, um, you know, just just going into the, the depths of darkness, to be honest with you, just in, in so many ways. Um, once again, I'll, I'll leave the details for, you know, another time, but, you know, it just involved a lot of, um, you know, parties and drugs, like hard drugs and, and things that I thought I would never do. I let myself get around people that I never thought that I would, that I would want to be associated with. I, I just, you know, and you just don't understand how one little thing leads to another, leads to another. And there's just no room for that compromise when you're running after the Lord and, and, you know, finding the true path of life. And so, Anyway, um, I did that, and I, I walked down that life, down that path, until uh, until I had nothing left. Um, I still have the house, thank the Lord, and uh, you know I have that today. But as far as the money and and 
just anything, anything else, you know, I just, I went, I went to basically rock bottom there. Um, you know, just, you know, physically, emotionally, and just allowing myself to, um, and to just basically give into whatever whim that my flesh had, you know, just to be totally honest with you. And, um, so I, I was, you know, I was in that place, you know, just looking, looking, you know, for something that I thought would give me fulfillment in life. You know, and so much of the time we just tend to fill our hearts with things um, that we think make us happy. And some of us, you know, like. I think that we're all searching for something. I think that everyone in this room is searching for something. I think that everyone out in the world is searching for something. And so much of the time, we tend to take the things that we think will make us happy, or even the things that we think are maybe righteous things. Maybe even, in, you know, folks who are in the church. Or folks who, you know, claim to the, uh, you know, the belief of Christianity in some ways. We fill ourselves with these, these things that we think that we're supposed to do and that we think that we're, are leading us towards Jesus. And these are some of the parallels that I hope to challenge you in tonight. Is that I hope you leave here tonight and you start praying and you start asking the Lord. And this is not to say that the people in this room are not godly people. Please don't hear that. But just to say, once again, I felt I felt an invitation in my heart to come here tonight and share my story with you and challenge you guys to pray and ask the Lord to show to you how is it? What are the things inside of my heart that I need to lay down? Because as much as we can say that it's easy to see how a person like me in that state of my life needed God and needed his salvation, needed his redemption. I felt the Lord give me this word tonight to come and say, I need him just as much today as I did then. And I tell you, I serve the Lord wholeheartedly with my life. At least I try to, you know, in every way that I know how to. But I still need him just as much, if not more, in this moment as I did when I was in the depths of darkness. And I want to challenge you guys with the same thing, that you need him just as much in this moment than you, as you ever have before. And if there's any places in our hearts where we have clinged on to things that aren't, that is not causing us to run full force ahead after him, I encourage you to take some time, whether it be here in just a few moments, you know, if there's just some time at the end to respond or even just later tonight in your in your home, in your room or wherever to just at, pray and ask the Lord to begin to reveal to you as you're reading your Bible, just in your prayer times that he would just bring things to your mind that you could lay before him. Because the word says that your our traditions render the, the word of God useless. And I actually heard someone speak that a few weeks ago, and I thought about it. Just, it just, I just was dwelling on it so deeply, and it just was making me think: what What are the areas of my heart where I've just clinged on to what I think God wants me to do, 
What are the, what are the areas of my heart where I'm just trying to be the things that I think God wants me to be instead of walking into <clears throat> pursuit of just what he did for me on the cross and seeing what that produces out of me. And I think that so much of the time, what that looks like practically, because this all sounds good on paper, right? But what does that actually mean? I think so much of the time, what that means for us is like, what is, what is the motivation behind the way that we're pursuing Christ? What is it that fuels us in our pursuit of relationship with Jesus? Is the motivating factor behind our faith trying to not be bad? Because that's not necessarily what Jesus called us to do. He didn't say, run from the darkness. He said, follow me. Now, don't get me wrong. Flee from the devil. You know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And, and you know, like the, the, the word's very clear about the Lord giving us opportunity. You know, like if you're temptation, if you're tempted, the Lord says, I will provide a way and a means for you to escape from that temptation and, and flee from that temptation. But here, what I'm saying here tonight, I'm saying that the Lord is not calling us. The Lord is calling us towards him more than he is calling us away from darkness. And that doesn't mean that he's not calling us away from darkness. It just means it depends on what you're focused on. After, after I spent that period of my life in darkness, you know, that, that pastor, Jeff Hubbard, he would come and he'd knock on my door sometimes when I was in the middle of my, my dark stage, my party stage. And sometimes I would actually hide from him. I'd actually go back into the back room of the house and just crouch down so hopefully he wouldn't see me in the house and eventually he'd go away. Because I didn't really want to talk to the pastor man, you know? I didn't know what to say to him because deep down inside, I knew what I was doing. You know, and I had known the Lord from a younger age, even if I didn't quite understand it. You know, I was, I was saved. I was baptized and I had spent a lot of time in the church and connected with God in different ways. And I didn't quite put all that together at that point in my life yet. But the point is, is I knew that where I was was not a good place. I just was choosing not to acknowledge that. And the pastor would knock and sometimes I'd answer because he was such a loving and humble man. You know, there's a time to come and speak a word of correction. And the Bible is very clear about when to do that. But this man would come to my door and he would just knock on my door. It's almost like a a correlation with Jesus knocking. And I I just put that together. I didn't even write that down. But he would knock on my door and he would just he would just love on me. And he would just say, hey, Tim, how you doing? You know, I just want to let you know, like, you know, this is what's going on. And, and, you know, those, those, those two young boys that you used to kind of mentor in the church, they're doing great, you know, and, and, you know, we all really miss you, Tim. And, 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 you know, never, never for a moment tried to condemn me, you know, or, or, or beat me up and say, man, what are you doing? You know, what, what, what are you thinking, man? And he, he was just so faithful. Even in the times I hid, just the fact that he came to the house and he wanted to pursue me and so and, and establish value in me by saying, I want to come by, even though I know you're directly going against what I stand for, what I'm doing, I want you to know I care about you. And he'd tell me, he'd say, if you ever, you know, if you ever get to bed, you know, if you ever don't stay up too late on Saturday night, you're always welcome to church on Sunday morning. 
You know, and he would always say, that's how he would end every time. He said, if you ever, you know, if you ever make it to bed on time on Saturday night, you know, we'll be here, but we'd love to have you. And eventually he came to me one day and he said, um, hey, Tim, I, I was actually in a mission trip on Af- in Africa and I met a gentleman from the United States who was on the mission trip with him. And long story short, I got an opportunity to move to a different town. And um, I got an opportunity to move to a different town and start working for that gentleman who was a contractor. He took me under his wing. I didn't have a vehicle. I didn't have a license. You know, I didn't have much of anything. And I was just stuck up on the mountain with no car and no way to get a job. And I actually wanted to get a job. I wanted to try to get out of this, this hole. But I was, you know, I was stuck. Didn't have anybody to help me out. And so they got me down there to a little town called Big Stone Gap, Virginia. It's down in Wise County, uh, near Cumberland Gap, you know, the very, the very southwestern tip of Virginia. And, uh, I remember the first time I came there, you know, I grew up in Thaxton and I thought it was southern there. But man, I got there. Somebody asked me if I was from New York and I just knew I was in a different place. I was like, come on, man. I might not be as Southern as you, but I do not sound like I'm from New York. Um, but it's just a tiny little coal mining town, you know, like one stoplight or two stoplights in town. I mean, it's just, you know, in the middle of nowhere. I mean, really genuinely. And, um, you know, I, I got there and I was excited because there was an opportunity for me to try to start, uh, you know, my life over and start doing better. Because at that point in time, once again, I knew that I didn't, I knew that, um, you know, I wanted to do better and I was tired of just being stuck up on the mountain, you know, with a dead end life and a, and a dead end, just, you know, existence. And I, I was never upset at God. I was never mad at church. You know, I was never, you know, because once again, you know, my pastor was always a loving source uh, or, or, you know, vision of the church towards me. But, you know, I just didn't understand how, God could change my life. So I went, I moved to this place to take this job and, and, and start to, start to, you know, do better for myself and get a job and pay off my court fines and get my license back and, and all this and that. And, uh, man, little did I know the Lord was just setting me up because I had a praying grandmother and I had a heritage, you know, of, of, you know, the Lord was in me. The Lord, you know, the Spirit of God was in me because I received the Lord at a younger age. And even if I had, you know, walked away from that for some time. He was still with me and he still had plans for my life. And so I guess long story short, I keep saying that, right? It's pretty, still pretty long story, but, um, I, I was there, you know, and I was still, you know, I wanted to do better, but I didn't have the right mentality. I was still drinking and, um, you know, smoking and stuff like that. And, but, you know, it wasn't long before uh, it was a very, you know, like, heavily, you know, Christian environment there in that city. It's like I said, just a small town, and, you know, everybody knew everybody, and there's a church on every corner. And, um, you know, so, I, you know, I ended up getting in church. And uh, I had one, I heard my boss actually invited me to his church, and I went one time. But there's another man I worked with, just, well, we worked on one of his jobs. He was a subcontractor of the man I was working for, and he invited me to his church. And then another gentleman uh, who I, strangely enough, uh, I met him just walking down the street in the middle of the night one evening. Um, and he was walking past too. And, uh, we just sparked up a conversation and, um, he invited me to that church as well. And, and, you know, he did so by helping me and telling me that actually that he would give me a ride and go get my electricity turned on and help me because I was living in a trailer at the time that had no water, no electricity, 
and uh, was hardly, I had to be careful where I walked because I stepped through the floor. I moved down there without seeing a, some, there was some I mean, just terrible rental agency that rented me this like abandoned trailer. Like honestly, it was like an abandoned trailer. They they said something about getting a homeless guy out of it before I came. And uh I mean there's no I'm telling you, there's no water, no power. I mowed the I mowed the neighbor's yard for him and they let me run an extension cord over through my window so I could at least plug up my microwave. And I rode my bicycle down to the store and uh got food. And brought it back and put it in an ice cooler, like a cooler with ice. So that was my refrigerator. And then I just had a propane camp stove that I would cook on. And I, I mean, I, I moved down there in July. It was hot down there too. I moved down there in July and started working a construction job. And uh, I came home in the evenings and I uh, was stand. I had one of them old garden tubs in there in the back. And I'd stand in the tub and pour bottled water on myself to shower. And that's all I had, you know. And it was just that was that was where I was at that moment. But the truth of the matter was, is I had a I had a house back in, in in Bedford, but I was so desperate for change at that point in my life that it didn't matter what I needed to do to make a change. And the funny thing is, is once again at that point in my life, I hadn't discovered the true relationship with Jesus that I have today. I was right on the cusp of it, but even without Jesus, I had fallen to this place of desperation. Because of what the way the world had beaten me up. And so that that's that just to set the scene, that's where I was. And um not maybe maybe, you know, I don't know, about three, two or three weeks after I had been there, um, I started I went to this church. And I, I can't tell you uh I can't tell you exactly what happened when I started going to that church other than the first time that I walked in for a Sunday service, I sat over on the side of the church during service, and I just wept. And I can tell you now that I understand to some degree that the Lord was transforming me. Before I even said a word to anybody, before I even said a prayer, before there was anything that I had to do, because the truth is, is that, the transformation that he did inside of me, it wasn't about what I did. It's about what he did. And he was ready to bring me into that. The same thing happened for about the next four weeks. I cried through most of the service. I imagine it was pretty embarrassing from the outside perspective just to see this random guy in the corner crying. Um, but I, I had no idea. what. I didn't, I didn't care. And I just had no idea what was happening to me, but I knew that the people were really nice. And I knew that I started to feel something again that I had never felt before. I I couldn't tell you exactly what it was, but it just felt like coming alive. And it wasn't long where I remember a moment where I was sitting in my trailer with no power and no water. And I I had a bottle of, of liquor that I had bought because I was still, at that point, I was still you know, at, in that place. This is a, just a few weeks after I had been um, been moved to that place. And I'll never forget that I was drinking and I was unsatisfied because where I had previously been satisfied was feeling the effects of alcohol. The only thing that I desired in the moment while I was drinking it was I wish like I, I felt like I did when I was at the church. 
And so I walked out on the porch and I dumped it out. And that was a big deal for me because I didn't have a lot of money and I was very dependent on alcohol at that point. I won't tell you that I never had another drink after that. I won't tell you that I didn't make a lot more mistakes after that on my journey of redemption. But I will tell you that it became very clear to me during those few weeks of time that there's nothing else worth giving everything that I have for than to pursue God with everything that I have. And the presence of God that I felt in that time was so much more tangible than anything. Even the physical effects of alcohol, the presence of God was more tangible and more real than the physical effects of alcohol. And I mean even in a physical way. And I want to encourage you guys that His presence is the most valuable thing that we can ever possibly hold. Uh, We hold it every single day in our hearts. But I just once again want to challenge you to look inside and find the places inside of you where that presence can come up and out of you even and affect you and the world around you even more. Because the Word tells us clearly that we are vessels of the Spirit of God. We are temples of His Spirit. But is that only for us? Or is that so that He can pour Himself into us until we overflow and just affect everything around us, including ourselves? That's that, that from there, my story was one of redemption and restoration, breakthrough, um, strongholds, you know, being broken off of my life, demonic presences being broken off of me, and a life that I never thought I could have. All of my plans he gave me and gave them to me so much better. I remember one of the things that I started my construction company when I was 22 years old, 23 years old. I had this plan when I was a teenager. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get a degree in in construction management. I'm going to work for a big company for a while. And then maybe by the time I'm 40, you know, I'll break off and I'll be able to have my own company and I'll, I'll do this whole thing. You know, I have this plan and I know what I want to do. And there's so much more. There's so much more I could tell you about my life besides just my construction company, but that's one of the very first things the Lord told me. He said, I'm going to give you your dream because I want you to know that I'm going to give you your dream, but I have so much more for you. This is just the beginning. You you know, your your goals and your dreams need to be bigger. The 23-year-old kid, granted, humble beginnings were definitely uh, a part of that process, but a 23-year-old kid starting the company of his dreams, given to him, by the Lord, and that's its own story in itself, given to me by the Lord after I had done nothing but waste my life for the prime years of my life heading up to that. That was such a a, a, a tangible example of the grace of God in my life. And that company, once again, lots of details there, but that company started as a direct result of the Lord's um, intervention, direct intervention in my life. That's my story, and I want to leave you with something 
out of all that, which is to draw that parallel that I described in the beginning and throughout this process and this, what I'm sharing with you tonight. It's really, really easy and it's very simple for us to look at the way that we're living our lives and lay it before the Lord thinking, I'm doing what the Lord is calling me to do. And for some of you in this room, I'm sure that you are doing that. But I want to challenge you once again, if there's anyone else who you feel that the Lord even now is working on your heart, you feel something inside of you now that's just beginning to to just kind of, sometimes when I feel like the Lord is challenging me, I almost feel my heart start to beat a little faster. And I just start to almost feel like a burning in my chest of like, I need to respond to this. I don't know what to do exactly, but I need to respond to what's being said right now. And if you feel like there's anything in you that, that, that is responding, even the Spirit of God that's within you, that we all receive when we receive salvation, I just want to encourage you to respond to that. We need Him just as much today as we do in our worst moments. We need Him just as much in our best moments as we do in our worst moments. You can be an alcoholic or you can be a churchaholic. That may not be very different in God's eyes because it doesn't actually, <clears throat> the fruit of what we do on the outside is a product of the root that's inside of us. And God's looking at the roots. He's not looking at the fruits because God is not scared of sin. Am I saying that it's okay to sin? No, I'm not. Am I saying that it's okay to be haphazard in your faith and just live how you want to? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is that you can look real good on the outside. But the Lord may be calling you to challenge yourself from somewhere deep inside where your motivations are. And so much of the time, we spend so much of the time figuring out how to run from darkness. And it's like we're running, looking down like this. And we don't even actually realize that run, that we're not, that we're running in the wrong direction. Because if you're, if you're so fixated on what the enemy's doing, then you have no idea what Jesus is doing. A quick example, and you, some of you may have heard this, people who study counterfeit money, uh, people who identify counterfeit money, they don't look at counterfeit bills because the counterfeit bills are constantly changing. There's always somebody making a new counterfeit bill with some kind of um, alteration on it that, does, that makes it non-authentic. The people who identify the counterfeits study the real bill. They study the real thing so deeply that any moment that something counterfeit comes into their path, they know it immediately. They don't need to know what the counterfeit looks like to identify the counterfeit. What I'm saying tonight is that I believe that there's an opportunity for us to respond to the Lord in a way where we, we so much of the time we spend our lives looking away from what the darkness is instead of looking towards where the light is. And you can't live in the light by running from the dark. We need Him in every moment. This is just as much for me as it is any of us here. I try to challenge myself and I try to surround myself with people who challenge me as much as I can. Because it's easy. It's easy to get comfortable. And it's easy to fall into tradition. And it's easy to fall into 
what is comfortable. But following the Lord takes intentionality in every single day. Hear what I am saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that anyone in this room isn't running after God and doesn't love Jesus. But I am saying, challenge yourself. Because there might be places where we're comfortable in our walk. And the core, and the more than anything, we have to know each and every day our dependency on Him. Because that will draw us to that place automatically. We don't have to, even, even, even what I'm encouraging to do doesn't happen in our own strengths. Doesn't happen out of our own desire. I can tell you, I can sit up here all day long and tell you, challenge yourself and look for the places where you have to change and look for the places where you have to be better. But beyond that, once again, I'll say the core of this message is if you want to do that, if your desire is to be the best person that you can be for Christ, the only way to do that is by relying fully on what the works that he did on the cross. That is the power to the wheels. That is what I'm encouraging to do. The, the Romans 12, 2 tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is the perfect will of God. The way that you do that is by transforming your mind. Faith comes from hearing, not having heard, not having heard, but hearing, consistently hearing the word of God. We need to hear these things. You, we need him every day. We need him every single day. In your best moment, you need God. Maybe more than in your worst moment, because it's one thing to walk out of the darkness, but the callings of God that are on your life are so much bigger than you. Right? Once again, what are you called to? And are you walking in that? Because I can tell you for sure, the calling, the fullness of the calling that's on your life from God is bigger than you. But in His strength, you can do them. We like to sit in this middle ground where, well, I'm not saving the world, but I'm not a bad guy, you know? Maybe God's not calling you to save the world, but He is calling you to do something. And if you're not sure what that is, it might be time for you to start challenging yourself. Do I need him? How badly do I need him? Do I live my life in such a way do I, that, I, that, I, that I know that I need him? Am I walking into situations where without him I'm in big trouble? Faith-filled situations. Challenge yourself to run after him. Read your Bible. I'm sure you guys all do. But I'm saying read it and really take time. Think about how the apostles walked on the earth. We tend to idolize them as if they weren't men just like you and I. The Bible was meant to be an example for us to follow after, right? Faith-filled scenarios are everywhere in Scripture. And whatever interpretation of Scripture that each individual person can give, there's always a place where we can walk more like they did, the ones who walked with Christ. Because he said that we'll be able to do everything. Jesus said we'll be able to do everything he did and more. 
So that's my encouragement. I hope, it, I hope you guys receive it well, and I hope you guys know that my genuine heart is to see every person walking with Christ walk in the fullness and excellence of the calling that's on their life. Because he is a God of order, and he has a specific plan for our lives. And he's not calling us to just walk around and hear me out. He's not calling us to just walk around and do good deeds haphazardly. He is calling us to love and he is calling us to walk in our callings and walk in our, our love in our everyday life. But if that, if we allow ourselves to become satisfied with the, just the, the little, the little deeds that we do that communicate love and that are good things, but we allow ourselves to become content and satisfied with that, and we don't know what the primary calling of our life is that we can run after him with alongside those things. I just think there's so much more for us. And so anyway, that's my story. Uh, once again, I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that story or not, but I hope that the way that I shared it tonight is helping you see that's the way that I view it. That's the way that I view my story in the relationship that I have with Christ. And just the necessary, the need that I have for him in every moment, in my worst and my best. Because he has never stopped loving me. He has never loved me any differently in my worst and my best. God looked at me in my absolute darkest moment. And he loved me all the same. It says that he hung on that cross even yet, we were still sinners, and he died for us. He knew that. He knew that. He hung on that cross, and he thought about me when he was hanging there. His body torn, dying. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about you. He thought about you personally when he was up there, because he knew you before the foundations of the earth. Allow that. Dwell on that. Sink, let that sink in. Pray on it. Meditate on that. Let that sink in. Let that begin to transform your mind. What he does, not what I do. And then what I do changes automatically. I walked into that church. I had no anticipation or understanding of how my life would change. I didn't have a plan. I just began to experience a love and a relationship that I hadn't before. And it changed me. I hope that everyone in here takes the relationship that they already have and takes it even farther and lay it before him and see what, he, what he's leading you towards. I, uh, yeah. I'll say, I'd like to say a prayer that we can close out service. Um, if there's anybody here that once again, you just feel like something is burning in your heart or just there's some level of response and you'd like to pray, I'd love to pray with you um, and just be a part of that, you know, that process if you'd like that. If not, um, you also, you know, obviously feel free to just even, you know, sit right where you are and just take a moment, even as I'm praying, to pray and just, and just respond to what you feel like God is doing in your heart. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and pray then. And um, once again, if anybody would like to talk any further, I'd love to love to do that and and even just answer any questions if anybody just has any questions, you know. So, um, 
Yeah, Father, we just we just thank you for the, the extravagant riches of your love. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that everything that you have done in our lives, Lord, is for your glory and for your honor. Father, I thank you that you've taken someone like me and turned me into something that can be used to spread your love across all of the earth, Lord. I thank you, Father, that your spirit is here with us tonight, Lord, within us, as you promised, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, that there is nothing that can come between us and your love. Father, I just ask for strength to come into this room right now. Just by the power of your blood, Lord, and by the power of your sacrifice, that you would send angels, Lord, even with strength that anyone who you're calling out, anyone who you're calling up into a deeper place with you, into a deeper reality of your love. Lord, I ask that you would give them the strength to respond to that, however needed. I ask that fear would fall away, Lord. Fear of man or fear of what what comes next, Lord. You are faithful and you are good. And there is no reality that is trusting you that ends up in a bad place. Because you are always good all the time. And even if we end up somewhere where we're not quite sure, if we're following you and we're with you, There's nothing to fear. So we just thank you, Lord, that fear was removed from all hearts in Jesus' name and that just open response would come before you, Lord. I thank you for just revealing yourself to us. I thank you, Lord, that you say, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. I thank you, Lord, that you always honor hunger. When we are hungry and pursuing you, you say, if you, if we seek, we will find. I pray that every heart in this room, Lord, would find a deeper level of seeking you. And I just ask, Lord, that in all things, your name will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.